Hey, uh, let me pray, and we'll look into God's Word this morning. So, um, God, we already sang, and we believe, that when the church of Christ was born, that the Spirit lights the flame. And we believe that's the same reality about when we look at Scripture, that we, we have these words on pages and uh, books and books and books that were written by a variety of people over uh, time. But we also know that in order to, to understand it in the way that brings us life, we need the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, um, what, we, what you want us to see and hear, and then would you give us the courage and the grace to take the steps that you want us to take so we can become uh, people who live life in the fullness of the Spirit of God inside of us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, occasionally I do a word for the day, but here's the word for the day, which I'm, I'm not, uh, it's, if you haven't figured it out already, it's not an English word, but it's the word for the day because I wanted to use a different word today. It's the word, uh, it's a Greek word, but it's hina. In Greek, the V has an N sound, and that's an A, like an alpha. And uh, abbreviations on top of the I, or the little apostrophe kind of things, makes the I uh, an H, like a hina. But I'm not saying that to be impressive, it's just a, but I'm saying it's a really small word. But in the passage we're looking at today, it's a really big deal. And actually, it's a really big deal in all of Scripture. But the word, this word simply means, go to the next slide, it simply means so that. So like, for example, I might say, uh, I brushed my teeth this morning, Hina, I wouldn't have any cavities, all right? I brushed my teeth so that I wouldn't have cavities, all right? Or, I put gas in my car a couple days ago, Hina, that I wouldn't run out of gas, all right? I did this so that this would happen, you know, or, you know, I try to eat vegetables, try is the operative word there, I try to eat vegetables, Hina, so that this happens. So what this is, is my purpose or my goal. My purpose and my goal isn't simply brushing my teeth, eating vegetables, or putting gas in my car. My purpose or my goal is health. I want to be healthy. I don't want to have cavities. I want to be able to drive my car. So the actions we do always point to some, not, to some kind of a goal or a purpose. So this, this term, so that, and we're going to look at it in this passage today, that there's a lot of things Jesus said and did so that these things, his purpose and his goals would be made full inside of each one of us. All right? So just keep in mind this, this idea that you, there's certain things you do so that a goal or a purpose that you are passionate about becomes accomplished. All right? So go to the next uh, slide. One of the things I've, we've said too over the last number of months at Exodus is if there's two things we learn how to do well, we want to learn how to honor the Holy Spirit, and we want to learn to pray like Jesus. I mean, if there's nothing else you do in the Christian life, there's no other focuses you have, if we can learn what it means to honor the Holy Spirit and learn to pray like Jesus, um, we'll, we'll be, uh, you'll be at a place of life and joy and peace, all right? So in, in that spirit, what we did start a couple weeks ago, go to the next slide, we started a series on John chapter 17. And John 17, John 13 to 17 is when Jesus is eating the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, they're all around the table. Um, 
It was the night he was going to be betrayed. They didn't know what was going on. They knew something was maybe going to happen because they probably sensed some intensity about Jesus. This is the night where he washed their feet. They had the Passover meal. Um, Judas leaves because Jesus kind of makes this cryptic statement that he's going to betray him. Even when he left, though, to said the disciples didn't know that's what was happening. But then Jesus goes into like a long after-table discourse with the disciples. So it's been a, a relatively long evening with some, especially the washing of the feet. Interesting things happen. And then in John 17, starts out and it says, Then Jesus, after saying this, lifted his hands up to heaven and he prayed. And all John 17 is, is a prayer. It's a prayer. And again, all these guys are around the table. Jesus is praying for them. And they know he's praying for them. So it's been a very relational, personal evening. He's washed each one of their feet. So now he's praying for them. So it's a, it's, it's, I'm assuming, and we can assume, it was a very meaningful time for them. All right? So, but there's some things he says in the prayer, and, and go, go to the next slide. We, we've already talked about these last few weeks. Part of his prayer is he pr- prays that they be protected by the power of the name. So I, what, I, what I'm saying, to, what I've said in the last couple weeks is, if Jesus prayed that for his disciples, then it's a good way for us to pray for one another. God, Jesus, protect them by the power of the name. Keep them safe from the evil one. Um, I've, you've gotten some of these postcards I've sent, but I've, I've sent a set of postcards out this month all the pastors I have on a list, and my prayer for them was simply, this, I had this on the front of the postcard, Jesus, keep them safe from the evil one. And I told them, I'm praying that you'll, Jesus will keep you safe from all the ways that Satan deceives, discourages, and tries to destroy people, all right? Um, a few weeks ago, we, where Jesus prayed, make them holy by your truth, teach them your word, which is truth. And that one, that teach them word with truth, I think most of you will have, either have gotten or will get a postcard, where that's on the front, where my prayer for you has been, I think it's good to learn if that's how Jesus prayed. Let's pray this way. My prayer for you has been, Jesus, would you, would you teach Alan your word? And would your word, Jesus, become fresh and new to Alan? So again, just the idea that if, if it's important for Jesus to pray for his disciples that way, it's probably a good way for us to pray. And always reminded that Jesus prays for us these ways. He still does. The Bible said he pleads for us still. All right. So those are some of the things he's prayed for in this prayer. And that's, again, it's a pretty intense time so we can assume that what he's praying for is the things that are most important to him all right now go to the next slide so um get back to our words so that and i want everybody to grab on your haven't done this for a long time on the center of your paper there's a there's a printout of all of john 17 all right so grab that if you would there should be enough for everybody at the tables so um so this is all of john 7 this is his whole prayer uh, so remember, keeping it so that is indicating some kind of purpose or goal, all right? So um, now what I want you to do is I want you to notice, go to the next slide, all the times that so that I've highlighted in yellow, all right? I helped out a little bit there. Um, I didn't do it all by manually. I printed them out this way because I probably would have missed them if I did it manually, all right? But I want us uh, just to go through real quick and just see all the things that were purposeful that Jesus was doing purposely so that something would happen. Like, for example, the very first one, so that he gives eternal life to each one of us. All right? So one of the, one of the purposes or goals of Jesus is eternal life. Not just, not just an ending life, but it's a kind of life now that's eternal. All right? So let's go to the next so that. It's like uh, the third paragraph. Somebody just tell me, what does that one say? So that what happens? What? What? 
brings him glory. All right? So Jesus, you can reread the whole chapter on your own sometime, but he's doing certain things because he wants us to bring him glory. Some might say that might sound a little bit self-centered, but we understand that bringing him glory is basically we want to make Jesus look good. So his, his prayer is, would they, would they shine things so people can see who I am is what Jesus is saying. All right, later on in that same paragraph, so that what? They will be united, all right? So that's really important to Jesus. That's one of his purpose and goals. He wants his disciples to be united. And these, these guys had differences of opinion probably about politics and everything else, but Jesus' prayer for them, I want them united. I want them together. I want them one, all right? Then you go down to the next paragraph, the fourth one down, verse 13, so that what? They would be filled with my joy. So that was one of his purposes. He, his hope for these disciples around the table and for each one of you around tables, Jesus' prayer for us is he wants us to be filled with his joy. He wants us, he, he's given us eternal life. He wants us to bring him glory. He wants us to be united. He wants us to be filled with his joy. And then the end of that paragraph, so that they can be made holy. All right, remember I've defined holy as distinct, pure, and powerful. Holy is not just to make you religious. It's, I want to, Jesus, make them holy. Or he says, God, make them holy. Make them distinct, make them pure, and make them powerful people. Every time the word holy appears in Scripture, you could put those three words in there. You know, holy is the Lord. Distinct, pure, and powerful is the Lord. Or God wants his people to be holy. He wants to be distinct, pure, and powerful. All right? And I think there's one more uh, yellow, all right, in the, in the second to last paragraph. So that they may be one. All right, he's saying it again. He's, he already said he wants them to be united. So now go to the, the slide, next slide, Stephanie. Here's all the things he just said. He want, he, he's very purposeful. He basically said, I spent time with these. Now there were just 11 of them around the table because Judas had left. I did these things. I, 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 my life was whole, all focused around so that, and I'm now saying it's we, so that we have eternal life. And again, I'm not just, it's not just talking about heaven after we die. It's a kind of life now where we live in a whole different dimension. So that we have the joy of Jesus, because he said, I've given them my joy. So that we become holy, so that we become unified, and we bring Jesus glory. All right? Now, I'm sure if you or I were to say, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, Am I experiencing all of those? I think we'd all say none of us are tens on all of those. But this is what Jesus is passionate about in all of our lives. He wants us to have fullness of joy. He wants us to be distinct, pure, and powerful. He wants us to be unified, not just within a church or between churches, but in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships. Relational harmony is really what unity is talking about. He wants that for us. That's what he wants for us, all right? So that's important, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss what he's praying for us, because that's important. I want you to know that's what he's praying for those of us who are his disciples. What I want to focus on today is what he's praying for, for those, what he calls, he calls the world, those who are not part of the body of Christ yet, all right? And so now go to the next one. Now I've underlined those in red, and there's only a few of those, all right? And those... Uh, Let's see, let's just start, let me go to verse 21, which is this third from the last paragraph. And I'm just going to read this, actually read it with me, start with verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. 
and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. All right? So this so that, it's the same word, it's the same word, but he's saying may they be in us. May they have such a relationship with you and I and the Holy Spirit, Father, that the world will believe that you sent me. So it seems as if our relationship with God, our life-giving relationship with God, has some significant impact on whether your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members who aren't yet Christians actually believe that Jesus was sent by God. Even, even apart from maybe even preaching about it, it's just like somehow our lives, the quality, the supernatural joy and power of our lives must have some effect on that. This is so that, all right? Now, if we go down to, uh, let's go down to verse 22. Let me read, let's read this with me, all right? I have given them the glory you gave me so that may be, they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Okay, stop right there. His prayer is he wants us to have such perfect unity. Now let's go on. So that the world will know that you sent me and know that you love them as much as you love me. All right? So I go to that next slide, Stephanie. So here's the so that's. The first, the yellow so that's were really what he's praying for his disciples. You and I, followers of Jesus. And I'll say again, what I've emphasized in the last couple of weeks is I'm going to encourage you to refer to yourself and other people or when you think about it, you're not simply Christians, you're followers of Jesus. Because there are a lot of Christians in America who don't follow Jesus. But if you tell people or if you remind yourself we're followers of Jesus, that's pretty, that's pretty unique. That's pretty clear about what that means, all right? So for followers of Jesus was the yellow stuff. He wants us so that we can be unified, full of joy, full of life, all right? But it's the red that I'm, I'm always intrigued by because he's doing, he's saying, I'm kind of praying for their unity, and I'm praying that these of my disciples will be in us so that the end product is so that the world will believe that you sent me, they'll know that you sent me, and then you know that you love them. All right? Now, I didn't say this at first. I forgot about this. But there's a yellow box at the bottom of your paper. Write your name in that yellow box. I want you to remind yourself that those first so that's were all for you. So that you have eternal life. So that you have the fullness of joy. So that you'd be holy, distinct, pure, and powerful. So that you'd be unified in all your relationships. All right? That's you. All right? Now, in the red box... I want you to write the name, or you can write initials, I don't care, we're not turning these in, of somebody that you know, that you really care about, or you, family member, friend, whatever, that is, as far as you understand, they are not yet a follower of Jesus, all right? Put their initials in that red box, because I want, I, want I want us to think about, and I have somebody's name in my box, all right? I want, us, I want you to think about it in, not just in theological ways, but in real ways of your life, all right? So Jesus is saying that our life with him and our unity with others, in other words, our, the quality of our lives relationally with God and relation with others, somehow unlocks something so that that person you just put in that box, they, they, believe, that it's, they believe things about Jesus they didn't believe before. They believe that Jesus was sent by God. They know that Jesus was sent by God. And they come to understand that God loves them as much as Jesus loves the disciples. So it, it seems like 
And yes, it's preaching and sharing the gospel with people is one thing. It's important to do. But Jesus seems to say it's, it's the quality of our lives. Our relationships with him and our relationships with one another. Our relationships in our marriages and our families between other churches, other followers of Jesus. Somehow that, if I can use the word, unlocks something in the lives of people you and I know that aren't Christians that all of a sudden something changes, all right? And then my question is with this always is, well, so if I just have a strong spiritual life and strong spiritual life with God and have strong uh, godly relationships with my wife and my kids and friends, then all of a sudden my neighbor's going to knock on my door and say, oh, I believe Jesus sent me because I just watched your life. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's those things. I do believe that those kind of, uh, those kind, living that kind of life makes an impact on somebody. My, my wife's parents or my wife's, my, my father-in-law has told me before, and he's repeated this story before, that Kathy grew up in a strong Christian home. And one of the neighbors came to their house one time and knocked on the door and said to your dad, you're keeping something from us or something like that. You got to tell us what's making your family go because you're doing something that the rest of us aren't doing. So obviously people notice things about your family, your relationship. They notice something about your integrity at work. They see things about how you treat people at work who don't treat you well. They notice if you are kind to those who aren't kind to you. They, they notice that. Our, our lives make a difference, and somehow in the lives of those people, you've put in those boxes, right? So, but it's not just that. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump to a different passage of Scripture. So again, we're, right now we're thinking about those people who Jesus is praying for here who are not yet around his table, the disciples, all right? And he's already said that I want, the, I want my disciples, I want those who follow me, I want, you know, Alan Meyer and Mike Kalb and John Kensick and Heather Kent. I want them, if, if they're unified and they live in us, people around them are going to see that Jesus was, that I was sent by the Father, sent by you, and they're going to see how much you love them, God. So then I think, why does that happen? What's going on? So now I'm going to jump uh, to 2 Corinthians, all right? But this is, this is how, in my mind, I'm drawing a line. If I could have all the Bible in one big screen in front of us, I'd draw a line from John 17, these last verses, all the way to 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Because this is what Paul is saying about those who don't yet believe. Those who don't yet believe that Jesus was sent by God. And it's not simply that belief, but if Jesus is sent by God, he is the king of kings, and you do what he says to do because you know that's going to lead you to life. All right. But this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. He, t he was talking about this veil that was covering, uh, covering the minds of those who didn't see God. In this case, he was talking about some Old Testament issues, but it's the same principle. And this is what he says. He says, the same veil covers, and I underline in red anything that was they or they or whatever, they, theirs, those, because it's all about the people you put in the red box, right? The same veil covers their minds so they, not, they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So there's this, the Bible talks about this veil that is over the minds of those people you know, your red box people, my red box person, who doesn't, 
doesn't believe in Jesus. And I don't mean believe like simply in a, in a real churchy way. They don't, they don't think he's unique, special, sent by God. So there's this veil that it seems like if I go back to John 17, somehow our lives are being connected with God in meaningful relational ways and displaying that in life-giving relationships with others, including our enemies. Somehow that must have, somehow the, the veil might get taken away because of our life. Yeah, there's some connection there. But let me go one more passage in 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul writes. He says, and this is where, in, you know, I talk about the weird meter, invisible world. But we do believe there's an enemy. We believe that our life is really a warfare against not Republicans or Democrats, but against Satan. All right. Satan, who is the god of this world. Actually, read this out loud with me. All right, here we go. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. All right? Now you've noticed I've underlined the they's again, because your red box people are in there. So let's say if your red box person is, I'll just pull out the name John. Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the mind of John, who doesn't believe. John's unable to see the glorious light of the good news. John doesn't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. All right? So what, what even Paul is saying, which is the exact thing, same thing Jesus was saying, I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see that Jesus is not just glorious. That's one of these religious words, but he's, there's power, there's awe. Jesus is brilliant. He's, he's, there is no one like him. He's the kind of person who forgives beyond reason. He says things that nobody else will say. He loves us even in the midst of our, our, our really bad choices. Jesus, is, there's no one like him. He's brilliant. He's unique. But what, what keeps people from, and, and those people you wrote in the red box, I'm sure all of them, I know mine would probably, they would attribute Jesus some kind of status in the world. He's a good teacher, good religious teacher, good guy. Did good things, did good deeds, loved the poor, all right? But that's not the same as somebody who sees the glory of Jesus, the exact likeness of God. That's what I want people in the red box to see. That's what Paul's praying for. That's what Jesus wants. I want them to see something about Jesus that they realize this guy, this guy, he's unique. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's worthy of me following him because he was loving, he was brilliant, he was forgiving, he was merciful. If everybody, if everybody followed this guy, maybe the world would be a better place, right? I mean, it's like I told you before when I came across one of the, one of the, uh, there was one of the protests going on downtown in Bloomington this summer, one of many, I think, and I just came across it when I was riding my bike, and you had, you know, both sides of the political coin we're arguing and screaming and blocking traffic and all kinds of things. And I was there on my bike and just kind of watching. And there was an IU student near, next to me, standing near me. I didn't know the person. They were an international student. But he just said to me, okay, whose side are you on? And I'm just like, and I said, well, I said, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm not trying to be overly religious. I said, I'm a pastor. But I'd say this if I wasn't a pastor. I said, I'm on the side of a guy named Jesus. Because if we all 
would follow his example of um, loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, praying for those who persecute us. If we could live that kind of life, I said these, these protests would never happen because we'd all be living in a, in a life-giving, harmonious reality, which is called the kingdom of God. I didn't say it all that way because I think the guy would have been blown away, but I said I'm on the side of a guy named Jesus who taught us how to love our enemies. I'm on the side of a guy named Jesus who said do good to those who hate you. On the, on the, I, said, I did say this. I'm on the side of a guy named Jesus who forgave the people who were, who were torturing him at the very moment they were torturing him. I said, I said to the guy, who does that? I'm on that guy's side. And that's part of seeing the glory of Christ through the exact likeness of God. So my conclusion from this John 17 passage, I want them to be in us. I want them to be unified and in us, Father, so that the world will see. It seems like how we live our lives, how we live our lives relationally with each other and with God somehow unblinds it works against the works of satan and people veils start dropping veils start tearing and maybe the people that are in your red box um start at least having some intriguing thoughts about jesus it doesn't mean they're going to knock on your door like they did kathy's parents door but i, I assure you the people you know who are not people you put on a list they may think about these things more than you know, and they may, they may know who you are, and because they know you follow Jesus, they may watch you more than you know. You're not on, you're not on, you don't have to be an actor, you don't have to pretend you're more godly than you are. Just be you with the spirit of Jesus inside of you. I guarantee you those people are watching you. I guarantee you they're, they're, they are trying to, as much as they don't even say it this way, they are learning about Jesus by watching you. They may not even articulate it that way. But if they know you follow Jesus and they see how you handle conflict, they see how you handle if somebody treats you poorly, they see how you handle when uh, you need to forgive somebody, and they watch those things, they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing the glory of Christ who is the exact license of God. So, um, but it's a spiritual battle. So here's how I'm going to close this way. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray, because I, I do think if Satan's blinding their eyes, it's not our human, we don't have the human ability to unblind them. It's because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, how we live our lives for God and for others. And how people may see the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Though That's what's going to change things. It's not going to be, you can have a tight, tight written argument about why people should believe in God and therefore believe in Jesus, all right? I don't think anybody's ever become a Christian because they were logiced to be a Christian. You can have those titles, but if, they, if the Holy Spirit isn't part of your life with God and with others, then it's not going to happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end by praying, and I'm going to, uh, to start my prayer, I'm going to say something, God, God, we pray for, and I want you, only loud enough so you can hear, I want you to whisper, just for your own ears, the name of the person you put in your red box, all right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off by saying, God, we pray for, and then, you know, if your red box person is Susie, you whisper, but I want you to be able to hear it. Nobody else around you needs to hear it, Susie, all right? And then I'll finish the prayer, all right? So here we go, all right? Close your eyes, get your red box person in your mind, all right? God, we pray for, 
God, you, you've heard all those names that were just mentioned. You saw us write them on our papers. God, we pray for those people that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if need be, we want it to be through our lives, would you remove the veil over their hearts and mind that keep them from seeing how beautiful Jesus is? How strong he is, how kind he is, how forgiving he is, how courageous he is, how merciful he is, how brilliant he is. And God, we, we want to be ready and willing to say things when those conversations come up. We don't want to have to force them when the conversation, but we want more so to be open and willing for the Holy Spirit to do things in us so... Um, the quality of our relationship with you and with our families and other people we know, and even our relationship with our enemies, those quality of how we do that, that would be some of the things that starts tugging the veil away from their eyes and their mind. We want to, we want to be used by you, God. We, we want to see people who we think are far from you. We want to see them see you, Jesus. We don't simply want them to become Christians. We don't simply want them to go to church we don't even simply just want them to go through the action of baptizing. All those things are all good. We want these people to see Jesus. We want them to see you as one who is sent from, we want Jesus to see them as one who is sent from you, from God. We want them to see you, Jesus, and we want them to know that God loves them as much as you love us. So God, would you, through us, would you um, break down the veils over their eyes? Would you thwart and oppose the work of Satan, who is, who is primary objective is to keep them from seeing anything that looks like Jesus? What Satan wants them to see is religious and religiosity and religious hypocrisy and churchy kind of people. But Jesus, what you want those people to see, our red box people, you want them to see love and life and courage and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and strength and passion. That's what you want them to see because that's who you are. So God, I pray for us, even, I pray even this week um, that you will put us in situations where maybe not even our words, but our actions speak clearly for Jesus in a way that might even baffle people around us. And if, we, if, there's, if you're in a situation where you, you want us to use our words, may we have the courage and the wisdom. And even like Scripture says, at those moments, you'll tell us what to say. But we want that to be from the Holy Spirit, not from any kind of guilt we're feeling or forced, uh, forced urgency on somebody. We want it to be because of your Holy Spirit. So we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We open ourselves, we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, this week, whatever situations face us, may we respond in a way where Jesus is seen in our response. And people then begin to realize and see that you are Jesus, you are sent from God, and that you are uh, the glorious one. You are the only one who can bear that title. So we love you, Jesus. Um, use us to change this community. Um, and use us to uh, display the power and the glory and the beauty of who you are, Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.
Um, I'll finish with this slide. There's one more slide, I think, Stephanie. Was there a red slide? Yeah. This was from the same, and then we'll, as, as we lead into communion, this is from the same passage in 2 Corinthians. So Paul had just got done talking about um, the God of this age blinds the eyes so they can't see. And then uh, later on in that chapter, this is what he, Paul says, is we always carry around in our body the death of Christ. And I didn't intend this when I was doing this yesterday, and my daughter was around, and I was like, yes. And I, she's like, what is it? And I said, well, the word so that shows up. It's the exact same Greek word. All right, so it, again, it talks about purpose. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. So your situation at work or in your family or around your neighbors who don't know Jesus, how you respond is going to reflect the death of Jesus in your life. Doesn't, I don't mean death like somber and sober. I mean it's you are dying to your rights to have it your way. You're dying to your right to have revenge. You're dying to your re- right to speak your mind because you need to speak your mind. But you, you carry the death of Christ in your body. So like he did, it said, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant. You're carrying the death of him. You respond out of that kind of life, then you reveal the life of Jesus to people around you. So when we talk about, when Jesus says, every time you drink this cup, eat this bread, you remember me, I think one of the things he wants us to remember is you carry around, you carry around the death of me in your body. And again, that's not a, that's not a negative, heavy thing. It's, no, I'm a servant now. I choose to forgive and not get revenge. I can, I, I, can, I can be generous to people without wanting to manipulate things back, all right? So when Jesus, because he's saying, that's what I did. But when we do that, we reveal in our bodies, in your body, to your coworkers, friends, and neighbors, and family, you reveal the life of Jesus, all right? So uh, everybody has on your table the, the uh, what am I, communion packets to go or whatever. I'm sure Jesus had nothing, no idea that we'd be using these. I mean, maybe he did, I don't know. So, uh, but tear off the, the wafers on top, the cups in there in the bottom, and uh, go ahead and uh, take the bread, take the cup, and as you remember, what you're remembering is, is that Jesus put his life in you so you could carry his death in you so you could reveal his life to others, all right? And there may be a time this week where you're going to have to live out the death of Christ in you in order to show somebody the life of Jesus to others, all right? So do that, and then Aaron's going to lead us in a couple more songs.